Hi, welcome back to Lead Up Katie Cast. We're back with you. I'm Jake LeBlanc, principal at Katie Junior High, with my my boys, brother Chris Bailey, who's assistant principal at Stock Dick Junior High, and brother Mark McCord, who is the principal at Stock Dick Junior High. And we are going to talk again about the eight myths of student disengagement. Last time we discussed the three types of engagement, which are behavioral, cognitive, and emotional. And we're going to focus this week on the four first myths involving engagement. And the first of which is, it's easy to tell who's engaged. And on that note, which component of engagement do you think is the most important? Behavioral, emotional, or cognitive, and why? That's a great question that Jennifer Fredericks poses in her book, The Eight Myths of Student Disengagement. So thanks for setting that up. So, you know, when I when we were talking through this and I'm reading through the book again, I, this is a hard question to answer mm-hmm. because those the three areas of engagement, cognitive, behavioral, emotional, they're not mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think, I mean, certainly you can go in and look at uh, certain things that kids do or how they are engaged in the class or Mm -hmm. how they are participating in the class to point to one of those uh, things but but they they don't you know occur in a vacuum Mm -hmm. so um, and the other part of that is if if those three are not in um, in agreement with each other if they're not all three occurring um, then it certainly is going to detract from the other one um but I think foundationally, I would have to say that if we don't feel safe in a classroom, and so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pointing towards emotional, uh, social, emotional yeah. engagement, if we don't feel safe in our learning, we don't feel safe, uh, you know, the kind of that basic needs concept, then I don't think that we can get to the next things. I don't think we have the opportunity to, uh, to, mm-hmm. to become... Um, acclimated to the classroom and the classroom activities, which would be behavior, right. um, and certainly to that next level of being cognitively engaged in, ha- in how we learn. So if I had to choose one uh, to be the most important, I guess I would say that mm-hmm. it would be uh, that emotional engagement. So, you know, when I think about this, I, I think uh, I want to answer, it depends. You yeah. know, um, yeah. there certainly are some students that are very uh, grade-motivated, and they will go in and they will do the work and sometimes think at a deep level. They'll be cognitively engaged simply because they are highly motivated. And I think that the big challenge comes with our students that struggle. And I think with those kids especially, uh, that emotional engagement is the critical part. You know, we're always going back and it starts with that relationship. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, for that kid to take those risks and know that the teacher truly believes that they want them to be successful, um, you know, I think that, that the emotional is the most important part. But from that is that wellspring, uh, that grit that will keep them working hard to get them on task, the, the whole behavioral thing, mm-hmm. and then ultimately uh, to think at a deep level in terms of cognitive engagement. And what's interesting is, you know, the, the easier they are to observe, almost the, the less depth there is with it, right? So it's easy to see if somebody's kind of on task, oh, if they've yeah, got, yeah. you know, they're, they're cooperative, they're behaving. Uh, 
Um, and they might not be connected to the teacher or the classroom or anything else. They're sure. just they're right. just going through the motions, right? Playing the game of school. Uh, it's sometimes harder to really know what's going on inside a kid's head. How high a level are they really thinking at without having a conversation? Mm-hmm. That's why it's yeah. really important when we're doing our uh, our walkabouts with uh, with teachers and we're trying to give them feedback. Having those conversations with kids to understand the level of the thinking that's involved. Um, and of course, we're watching what's happening with relationships as well. So I, I'd say it depends. The preferred level of engagement, though, would certainly be that deeper emotional engagement, and then of course, cognitive engagement, which would lead to the rest. Sure, that, I guess what you're saying, Mark, is is a reason why um, high levels of activity or varied activities, I guess I should probably say, in the classroom is so important mm-hmm. um, because if we if we only get a teacher uh, giving one-way information, it's very easy to mistake a compliant child for a cognitively mm-hmm. engaged child. Mm-hmm. Um, that compliant child who is not cognitively engaged could be uh, passively, you know, passively disengaged uh, from the from the lesson and really not getting anything out of it, yeah. which is exactly what you're talking about. And I, I would go along with both of you. I, I was thinking the exact same thing. I was drawn obviously i mean it's a it's a very hard question to answer because mm-hmm. they're so connected uh but i think both of you hit on it beautifully it's just to me the emotional part is the relational part mm-hmm. uh and if i if i don't have that relationship i don't have anything mm-hmm. uh and if i have that relationship everything else is a whole lot easier mm-hmm. uh and it's a whole lot easier for me to gauge for cognitive uh, engagement mm-hmm. and behavioral engagement. So I, I, w- I would agree with what both of you said. Yeah. Well, one well, thing, one thing I want to say real quick about that is, you know, a simple strategy that teachers can use is just shifting up the nature of the way they question the kids. So often what we see, and maybe because it's folks get in a hurry, uh, they just kind of throw out, are there any questions, you know, yes. or anything like, you know, just that open ended thing versus asking those specific questions to kids that will reveal if they are really engaged. Mm-hmm. So if a teacher just goes through and, you know, dumps a lot of information and says, are there any questions and moves on, you know, it may seem like, you know, they may believe because their kids are nodding their heads, right. they've got pencil to paper, they're compliant, that everybody mm-hmm. knows it. But we all know the reality is that there's no way to truly know that. Some do. I mean, some don't have any yeah. questions and they get it, but chances are there are others that do not. Yeah. And the, the word that I, I meant to say earlier, I said passively disengaged. What I was trying to say is passively non-compliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see that sometimes in classrooms where a child is, is not acting out um, and they're not, you know, uh, you know what you would consider kind of your high flying uh, behavior students, uh, but they are sitting quietly, but but not in any way engaged in the activity in the mm-hmm. lesson. And and those kids can sometimes fly under the radar of being engaged cognitively. Um, a way to to approach that questioning uh, certainly could be uh, by the use of of a system uh, to randomize uh, calling on students. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if, if you're not familiar with that, uh, with that strategy using, uh, popsicle sticks or an electronic randomizer mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. to that effect. Um, so the students know that at any point in time, any of them might be called on to, 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 uh, answer the question. Um, and the power in that is asking the question, giving the, the class some think time to engage cognitively that process that we can't see necessarily externally. Um, and then randomly calling on the student 
um, so that uh, so that there's a little bit of that motivation, uh, mm-hmm. maybe even a little bit of angst, uh, but certainly mm-hmm. heightened awareness that I could be called on to uh, to answer this question. Um, the opportunity to engage cognitively uh, should be greater in that mm-hmm. environment. And mm-hmm. I just thought of something as I as you, as y'all were speaking. Uh, I did an observation, and it's the theater arts uh, band orchestra. Those those classrooms are very unique. They're performance based, and I found it very interesting relative to the high cognitive level of the questioning because this particular orchestra uh, director asked the question once he set the objective and they performed and he isolated sections and so on and so forth. The question was, how do we make that better? How do we make that easier for y'all to transition? And I'm not a band person. So, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm just gleaning from what I've learned during the course of the seven years that I've been there and all that. I've, and I've learned so much from our fine arts mm-hmm. because it's just such an intense, uh, uh, classroom in an intense environment for kids, but all of my all of my fine arts folks do it. They question the the students to come up with better ways, easier ways, or more things that make things sound better. Mm-hmm. And then the students just yeah. eat it up. Right? They they love that challenge, and they have good answers. So the next myth that Fredericks addresses uh, is the myth that some students just don't care. Hmm. And I, I am certainly guilty of this thought uh, myself. And so I certainly pass no judgment on anyone that may be listening that may feel that way about a certain uh, student in your class. Um, but, uh, you know, let's, let's talk about that. Are there mm-hmm. students that just don't care? Um, and how uh, might we connect with those students? So I'll say, uh, you know, when, when we're working with those kids, one of the things that might indicate that this is really not, not the case is when you look at kids that are being uh, very successful in one teacher's class, but they're really struggling to be engaged in the other teacher's class. And many times when we start exploring that, what we find is that the teacher that they are performing for is someone they have a strong relationship with. And in fact, they lack the relationship with the other teacher. And so, uh, you know, the kids that are doing poorly across the board, that that really is where we get that deeper yeah. level of question because you like, do you have a relationship with anyone in the school? Sure. Uh, and that's, that is a great question to be asking. And, and really talking to the kid is the way you find that out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that a lot of it is very relational when the kids are, are disengaged. And I, going off that point, even as an administrator, I mean, there are students that are easier for us to, I guess, not get along with, but to to, to be able to communicate with uh, because some students are just difficult and hard mm-hmm. to reach. Uh, and I'm sure we've all faced mm-hmm. similar situations, scenarios, be it in a classroom or be it as an administrator in the school. And it's, it's a very, very... Uh, raw topic for me because Mm -hmm. we I had a situation occur within the last couple of days and uh you know a very challenging young man who uh just just has a difficult time and 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 we all have our own baggage that we carry Mm -hmm. with us uh and I would just characterize it as a, a very difficult uh 
life thus far for this particular young man. Uh, and just had a confrontation yesterday and basically uh, in my years of experience mm-hmm. have learned to you know leave the ego at the door and just uh, take it mm-hmm. uh, and finally get student to a point where we could at least get out of the middle of the hallway get out of the office where there are other folks around mm-hmm. and just take the audience uh, away absolutely mm-hmm. and just you know get him isolated into my office still a little agitated but uh trying not to meet his agitation with my power Mm -hmm. uh which is a crutch sometimes that we Mm -hmm. often go to unfortunately Uh, but i I kept my cool i was proud Mm -hmm. of myself and basically just said you know tomorrow we're gonna have a it was towards the end of the day so uh tomorrow we're gonna have a conversation about Mm -hmm. what all has transpired because i just i didn't have time to uh take it all in necessarily so today we did have that conversation and we there was another teacher involved and included that teacher in that situation but uh there was a huge disconnect because after talking further today and and understanding where he was coming from uh and and what his paradigm was and basically walking through that having the teacher explain where she was why there was a misunderstanding he accepted her explanation and we had to talk a little Mm -hmm. more after that because I was upset about some things he uh, thought of me relative to where I am and you know not to go into any great details because it doesn't really matter it was just a misunderstanding Mm -hmm. and as you pointed out Mark it's just it's that communication I sat probably we spent a good half an hour yesterday, probably a good another half an hour today, uh, reconnecting and just, you know, mm-hmm. talking about, and we, we, there are some things in common that we have with our students, uh, <laughs> because we're all human and we're not right. perfect and yeah. our children aren't perfect or mine aren't. Uh, and you know, so there was some, uh, some opportunity to mm-hmm. connect as a human at a human level. And, uh, moving forward, I think uh, we're, we're going to be fine. We, there will be more hiccups. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just it's, it's just the nature of the beast. But as you said, just you talk to him, mm-hmm. you listen. I he and I had never done that. I'm I'm the principal. I don't necessarily do the discipline per se as much mm-hmm. as my assistant principals do. But you know, just giving him time to state his point. Mm-hmm. Feel you like know, he'd been heard. Absolutely, mm-hmm. and, and actually listen, uh, which, you know, as in leaders, we're used to talking and, and being in charge and, and being mm-hmm. responsible for all the, all that, or most of what uh, the direction. But I just, I mm-hmm. left, I mean, I left that to him. So again, your point, yeah. and I'm getting too long winded here, but basically what you said, Mark, you hit it on the head. You just communicate. Yeah, and, and reconnect purposely yes. when it goes south. And it's not just with students. I and mean, we have to remember that with the adults in oh, our building absolutely. as well, right? I mean, we we uh, we need to feel driven in that imperative when it heads south because we know how critical those relationships are uh, to everyone's engagement that we need to go back and work hard to, mm-hmm. to do right and to repair that. I think there, there are a couple of different uh, areas that, that I think are important in, in this idea that somebody may just not care. I think the first thing that we have to do, and it certainly goes back to the relationship and the communication, when we have a student who is 
showing some some signs of disengagement behaviorally, socially, certainly cognitively, that we we go back to those lower level, you know, of Maslow's hierarchy of needs of are are the are the basic mm-hmm. needs of this child being met? Do they have the food, water, warmth, and mm-hmm. and um, and rest that they need to be able to uh, be successful in their everyday life? Do they have the the security? Uh, and safety in their life, um, and then all the way up to belonging. Do they have a place mm-hmm. where they feel like they can belong? Um, I think if if those needs aren't met, um, you know, it's it's going to be a, a huge challenge to to get them to to self actualization. You know, which is where the learning takes place, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there certainly is that that fundamental um, need to understand each child and where they are um, in terms of their basic needs. I think the other thing that we have to acknowledge um, is that it's absolutely perfectly okay for a child to prefer one uh, area of learning over another. Absolutely. Um, You know, a a child may have an affinity for math um, and and not give uh, not get much credence to wanting to learn how to read or write. Uh, We know that that's all connected and combined, and and um, and uh, one helps the other, but at whatever developmental stage they are in their life, they may not um, have the maturity to be able to make that connection. And so, again, certainly going back to the same concept of knowing the student in the cl- in your class, um, what their what their interests are, what they have an affinity for. I work a lot in special ed, and every year, starting at age thirteen, uh, we uh, we do transition planning for a child for when they get out of college. Um, I dare say that the general ed student that is going through our building, uh, we stop and and take interest individually about what are your plans and what are your goals mm-hmm. um, into college in some kind of systematic way. Certainly, there you know there are ways that we do that. We you know in our uh, on our in our district we use Naviance to mm-hmm. to help the kid explore their their um, areas. But are we having uh, very specific conversations about what are you interested in and how can I help you get mm-hmm. there? Um, we do with certain populations of our of our students, but I think that's an area that we can mm-hmm. certainly grow in. Yeah. Um, so acknowledging that that uh, every every kid is not going to uh, necessarily appreciate every subject, um, but where we can make the connections, we make them. Um, and we try to use that as motivation to learn in the areas um, that they need to learn to be successful moving forward, um, but may just not um, have the uh, have the desire to uh, dig in as deeper as they do in other places. Right. Makes sense. So myth number three is what happens outside of school competes with academics. Uh, this idea that, you know, if they just weren't so darn busy outside of school, they would do better in school. And what's interesting uh, that is shared by Fredericks is that there's several studies out there that show that youths who participate in extracurricular activities actually have higher grades, they score higher on achievement tests, and they are more engaged in school and more likely to attend college. And furthermore, participants in these activities are less likely to drop out of school. So interesting that, you know, this idea that, you know, whether they're just so busy, they can't stay focused, they can't have time to do their homework or whatever it is, it's going to wipe them out in school when just the opposite is true. Why do you think that's the case, gentlemen? Why does it seem it's sort of counterintuitive to what we might think? Well, personally, I mean, I've experienced it times three uh, as, a, <laughs> as a parent right. with, with 
kids going through school here in Katy, and, 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 and no matter where you are, uh, but basic, and all of my, my children were engaged in something. They just had different interests. So for me, what the engagement forced them to do was to learn how to manage themselves, manage their time, uh, man, you know, manage their pro- make make priorities. Uh, be be they be it that they write them. My oldest didn't write anything down. Uh, <laughs> he just he managed, uh, and he had he had this uh, mental map of of what needed to be done, and he got things done. Uh, and, and and kids are all different, but 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 for me, I think the main thing that such involvement and engagement and outside activities does is it just forces you to, to manage yourself and manage your time and to, you know, uh, obviously, you know, and and try to get a little sleep and Mm -hmm. a little sustenance (laughs) in in there in between every now and then. But for me, I mean, and I, and it play, it's played out as a parent for me and certainly it's played out, as an as an administrator in a school, mm-hmm. and again, we're at, we're in the season now. Uh, Brother Mark and I were talking about how busy this time of year is with mm-hmm. concerts and, and, and end of the year or end of the semester activities and events, and it's just seeing those students on stage for me last night. Uh, three different bands, three different levels, and. Mm-hmm to see the growth that's occurred in each of them. And it, for me, it, it always strikes me as, you know, some of the students that are not so cognitively, behaviorally, or emotionally engaged mm-hmm. throughout the day as I observe them, do walkthroughs and things of that nature, I see them for 45-minute segments of time while I go into their fine arts classes or I watch a concert for 20 to 30 minutes mm-hmm. and there's not a hair out of place. There's not a, a movement not meant to be, and it's, it just never ceases to amaze, mm-hmm. amaze me how how potentially capable every single child in the building is. So, mm-hmm. you know, I agree. I mean, the, the more they do, the more that we can get them interested in, to me, the better off they're going to be. A few years back, I was a part of a panel discussion on uh, and the 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 event was about uh, uh, students uh, planning for college and and how to be prepared for college and what to do in high school to uh, to have the best opportunity to um, to be accepted to the university that they want to go to and on that panel there were a couple of uh, entrance counselors uh, entrance administrators uh, at some uh, universities here in town and. Um, I, I learned something that I didn't know, um, that um, beyond uh, academic performance, the number one indicator of students being able to graduate from college in four or five years is the ability to connect with a community. Mm-hmm. Um, so, And the way that college entrance uh, departments gauge that is a student who is able to demonstrate that they have the the ability and the desire and the capacity to uh, see things through. Uh, for instance, a student who uh, participates in um, 
athletics for the full four years of high school or the band program or the first four uh, for all four years of high school. I said first four. I hope you're not in more than four. <laughs> uh, uh, for the four years of high school, a, a, um, a transcript that shows, you know, a progression of of uh, academic courses from uh, from the uh, you know the first science class all the way through the fir- the fourth science class. So somebody who has that that ability to to uh, make a long term decision is one thing. Um, and then the next part of that is if if those activities allow that child to create uh, social connections and communal connections, um, it. Um, it it has a, a such a higher uh, degree of success in terms of the child matriculating through and graduating mm-hmm. high school, uh, excuse me, high school and college, but but college, um, which you know is is everything in terms of how a college is is seen as what if we're graduating mm-hmm. um, students. Um, the the uh, the biggest um, the biggest roadblock for children not finishing or young adults not finishing college is not academic success. It's being unable to connect with the, the community, mm-hmm. the learning community or uh, the social community that they're a part of. Um, and you learn these skills through the stuff around mm-hmm. the academics. Mm-hmm. Um, I would not uh, for a second say that the, the academic component is not important because Certainly it is. They are. Yes. Um, but um, when you're in a... Um, a math classroom or a science classroom, um, you're not getting necessarily um, the connection that you do whenever you are a part of a, uh, a, a performance group or mm-hmm. a competitive group or a, um, a volunteer organization. Um, and, uh, and you certainly can c- create those in the classroom. So I would encourage you, if you are a, um, a, a classroom teacher of uh, a, a core content. I hate the word core content. I think it's all core to the, um, hmm. uh, to the learning of a student. But in those math, science, social studies, ELA classrooms, um, then figure out ways that you can connect students and, um, and give them that opportunity to create community within the classroom and beyond the classroom. Mm-hmm. And I think that just ties in perfectly with the work that we do. I mean, we're not we don't work on an island. We, we collaborate with our, with our peers. We collaborate with our teachers. We, we are highly collaborative uh, people, and that's, that's the world. The final myth that we're going to discuss this evening is hands-on is minds-on. Busy doesn't necessarily mean you're thinking. Uh, Fredericks does a really nice job of putting together eight practical strategies for implementing cognitively complex tasks. Uh, they include providing appropriate amount of time for the task, selecting tasks that build on students' prior knowledge, mm-hmm. emphasizing meaning and understanding, modeling high-level thinking and reasoning, pressing for student understanding, drawing conceptual connections, diagnosing problems and providing feedback, and encouraging students to self-questions and self-monitor. And I'm just going to let uh, Brother Mark and Brother Chris talk about a couple of those. So I'll, I'll just say that, uh, you know, first, before I dig into one of those, um, that I agree, like, just, just because it's a tactile um, activity um, or something that is high energy doesn't mean that it's highly engaging mm-hmm. cognitively. And so mm-hmm. I'd be careful to fall in that trap. Um, I've walked in the classrooms before where there's a slick, 
uh, Kahoot competition going on, mm-hmm. um, and the kids aren't learning a doggone thing. Um, so, uh, and not, and I'm not saying that a, a Kahoot competition is not uh, something that you could use for review or for um, uh, you know for potential learning, but um, make sure that it is uh, designed in a way that is going to engage the child in the content as opposed to the competition. Yeah. Um, tough but, to be tough to be really like. Uh, cognitively complex whenever you're just sort of selecting an answer yeah. in a speeded, it, it, it's right. more like a game show it is. than yeah. it is. Yeah. Like, you know, it was when it's timed in that right. way. Right. Yeah, I agree. Excellent review. Um, but, uh, so the, but the, the, the one that you're talking about, uh, Jake, that I'd like to dig into is this idea of drawing conceptual connections, um, drawing on a, a child's past history to uh, to connect the current learning uh, certainly is a great way to engage a child cognitively. One of the challenges that we have um, when we are working with students that are uh, from uh, low socioeconomic populations um, is that um, the data shows that that those childs have those children have less uh, uh, less opportunity for uh, experiential learning in their childhood. Um, they're they're not uh, going outside of the city to learn um, to learn new cultures or learn new uh, areas. Mm-hmm. They may not be going to uh, the symphony and the museum or the um, the ball field or or wherever mm-hmm. it might be um, to to um, to gain these um, these experiences to to file away mm-hmm. uh, in the brain to then grasp onto whenever they hear you know. Uh, if a child hasn't been to um, the zoo, uh, when they get to learning about um, the anatomy of an animal, mm-hmm. it's very difficult to, to draw on that and make a connection mm-hmm. um, that, you know, beyond something that they might have seen in uh, a book. So, um, so I think it's really important. And, so, uh, and I'm not saying that uh, you know, students that are from low socioeconomic backgrounds cannot make those connections or have those experiences but what I would challenge uh, all of us to do is um, if we have populations of kids who, um, who don't have uh, that rich uh, opportunity for, uh, for, for experiences to, to figure out ways mm-hmm. to, uh, to provide that for them. Bring um, it in. Bring, yeah. it, bring it in, right. Um, you know, uh, 3D, um, 3D tours, you know, um, on, on virtual reality tours yeah. uh, is a great way to go experience, um, you know, um, the uh, Egyptian ruins or, or whatever it might be. Um, so figure out ways to give those kids those experiences so that they can make the connections in the classroom. So and I know we're, we're running short of time here, but the, uh, the strategy that I, I sort of selected out of here was modeling high-level thinking and reasoning. And, you know, I think of these as sort of think-out-louds. You know, a lot of times our kids are kind of perplexed about how we arrive at certain answers, you know, and, and you know, they might see the learning as more of a memorization, like I just got to remember this term or what is the right answer. Uh, and they're kind of baffled by how do you arrive at this answer, especially when it's a, a little bit deeper, you know, depth of knowledge when you're asking, you know, multiple step uh, problems, those kinds of things. And there's just such power, uh, especially when peers do it. And that's really the ideal thing. So I think really in terms of the practical strategy so often for teachers, it's just to remember when you ask these questions and the kid answers it 
to probe further, right? To really uh, yeah. dig deeper and like, help us understand, like, how, how did you arrive at that question? How did you know that? What connections were you making? So that, again, the, it becomes sort of unraveled uh, as to how they got, got the right answer. It wasn't just something that they magically knew or it was something very simple. If you can't find a student that can do that, then I think we do it ourselves as, uh, as teachers. We kind of back around and we, we talk about sure. the connections that we made, things that we have saw, how we know, and why we would maybe think we go that way. So I think that's the strategy I would tease out of there. All right. Thanks for listening. You can download us on your favorite podcast app or follow us on Twitter at Mark McCord 10 at Sticks Bailey, and at Jacob L-E-B-66. Mm-hmm.